Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 74 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, Adam. You can reach me at the real 27 guy on Instagram. Welcome to joining today and for downloading the podcast. Uh, this episode is brought to you today by Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine. BCF is the magazine for basketball card fanatics. Get your high-quality print copy of BCF mailed to you every month by subscribing at bcfmag.com. That's bcfmag.com. Use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. We'd love to have you as a subscriber. That's bcfmag.com. Guys, today uh, is going to be the, um, well, it's going to be the Let's Talk About Victor podcast. Um, I want to break this into three parts today. We're going to talk about the historical significance of Victor Wembenyama um, as I think about it compared to the last 40 years of other prospects to come into the league. We're going to talk about the exclusive deal that Fanatics has uh, with Victor and what that means to collectors. And then third, we're going to talk about how I plan or how I'm going to sort of plan around it. Whether it's right or not, I will tell you guys what my strategy is in this moment. Um, but to start us off, let's let's talk about Victor. Um, I will tell you guys, I have been an active hobby participant since the late 80s. Um, the first set that I put together was in 1990. It was 1990 Hoops. Put together both the first and the second series. Um, also had a Fleer set from 1990 um, that, that I put together then. The late 80s, I was a collector, but I was very young. I don't really remember it. Super well. Why do I tell you this? Well, what I want to do is give some historical context to how big, not not only how big Victor Wembanyama is as far as how tall he is, but how significant of a prospect he is based on the amount of love that he's getting from from everyone. And this is an imperfect way to do it because obviously I, I'm I'm sort of like putting my finger in the air and sort of like gauging this based on everything that I'm hearing and seeing. But I've been through enough of these drafts, you know, almost 40 years worth to have like a good sense of it. So um, this is what I would this is what I would compare it with. I would say over over the last 35 years or so, there have been eight different times where somebody has come out in the draft. All, in all cases, they were number one picks where they were surefire going to be absolutely dominant number one picks. Um, guys that changed not only the NBA, but changed the hobby at the same time. That's what we're looking at. This is a basketball card podcast, not just a basketball podcast. So here are the times that I remember when that happened. The first that I remember is when David Robinson came into the league. Now, you might not think of David Robinson as one of the biggest um, prospects ever to come out, but you're wrong if you, if you feel like that. He not only won a couple of championships and you know had... A, obviously a really successful NBA career, but when he came out, he had basketball hoops and endorsement deals and all sorts of things that kids saw him on. Um, his card number 138 for hoops, 1980 hoops, 1989 hoops was one of the biggest basketball releases of all time. Um, he changed the hobby and then he changed the game. In fact, for a long time, the 1990 hoops, David Robinson, second year card that said rookie of the year on it, was the most popular card in the set. It wasn't Jordan. It wasn't the Sean Kemp rookie. It was the David Robinson that just said rookie of the year on it. The next time that we saw somebody come out where their presence 
of entering the NBA changed everything with Shaquille O'Neal in 1992. Shaq was dominant. He was one of the most dominant players of all time, maybe the most dominant player of all time. From the moment he entered the league, the hobby changed. Every new set had a Shaq rookie in it, and every Shaq card was not found at uh, sports card shops because they just got purchased as fast as they could. I'm talking every set. It's not a coincidence that that year we saw several new sets come out. Um, they came out because Shaq was, was in those. That will be a recurring theme later in this list as well. Another guy who I, who I put on this list, um, and he's probably, he's probably not the first person that I would have put on this list because I don't think he changed the hobby as much as he changed the league, was Tim Duncan. Duncan immediately changed the league from a contender's perspective, but the hobby was in a in an interesting spot because we were coming out of the, the mid-90s and early 90s where it had been such a boom. Um, but so he didn't he didn't really yield new sets, but we all knew when he came out that that the whole league had just changed. And five championships later, we were definitely right about that. Five years later, Yao Ming came into the NBA. I remember the tape that we saw on ESPN when he was shooting three-pointers and just being so sort of blown away that somebody who was that big could be shooting like that. And from the moment he came into the league, his cards were just on fire because you had the whole Asian influence, and, uh, and that, that, again, changed the whole hobby forever. Just a year later, LeBron came into the league. I was on my mission when LeBron came in. I don't remember it super well. I do know that that's when, obviously, Exquisite was um, invented. And, um, you know, we, we knew even the year before LeBron came out that he was going to be one of the biggest prospects ever. And even though I was in England for it, I knew that LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony and Darko Milicic was, was the next wave of the NBA. But LeBron himself was different. Um, Carmelo was like almost an all-star level player in his rookie year, and you still knew that he couldn't hold a candle to LeBron. Four years later, we got to see Greg Oden and enter the NBA. We know what happened after that, but that doesn't that doesn't um, mean that 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 the Oden hype wasn't real. Greg Oden was Topps' one real get of a player that felt like they could really compete with Upper Deck. Um, and then, of course, Greg Oden couldn't stay healthy. But he could have been one of the most dominant players of all time. And when he came out, he was the talk of the town. Fast forward over a decade later. So Oden came out in 07, and I would argue there wasn't another prospect until Zion in 2019 that, that changed uh, the lay of the land the way that Zion did. Some people want me to put Luca in here, but there's a reason that Luca didn't go to third overall in the draft. And no, it's not just because the teams in front of him were crazy. It's because this list is about prospects that from the moment they were drafted, you knew they were going to change the league. Um, we might have been wrong about Odin. We might even be wrong about Zion. But Zion changed the league and he changed the hobby. His Prism rookie and his some several of his other cards are some of the best-known cards of the last decade. And that takes us to yesterday when Victor Wembanyama was made the first overall pick in the NBA draft. And ironically, the third player in this list of eight that has gone to the San Antonio Spurs. No other team on this list has more than one. 
but the San Antonio Spurs have three. And so if you are a fan like me of another team who is jealous of the good fortune of the San Antonio Spurs, um, I think that's normal because truly uh, they, have, they have seen incredible good fortune. I kept Chris Webber, Andrew Wiggins, and, Andrew, er, and Anthony Davis off this list, but um, you know those three guys are, were also three huge prospects the moment that they came into the NBA, and they've had, they obviously had varying success. Ironically, if you look back at that entire list that we just read off, only David Robinson and Tim Duncan won championships with the team that drafted them without being traded in between. I have to add that caveat for LeBron James. But we're not here to talk about basketball. We're here to talk about the influence that these guys had on the hobby. And these guys had a huge influence on the hobby. And now Victor Wembanyama gets to join that list. And um, and I, I, I put him in there because, again, you see... You see not only who he is but he, on the basketball court, but who he is off the basketball court. You see how people are talking about him and all, how they're projecting him. The question isn't whether he has a chance to be a great player. The question is whether he can fulfill his potential. So with that, we will take our first break of the show. Most of you know about PWCC. What you might not know is how much of the market share of auctions PWCC has taken from eBay. Every week, over 10,000 auctions, including thousands of basketball cards, end on the PWCC marketplace. If you haven't joined, it's super easy. It takes only a few minutes to register and begin bidding on everything from $5 cards to million-dollar cards. I recently picked up a 2007 Topps Chrome Superfractor of Kevin Garnett on the PWCC weekly auction. What are you waiting for? Register today at pwccmarketplace.com and start bidding. Okay, now let's talk about Victor Wembanyama's exclusive deal with Fanatics and what it means. So I've heard some people say that Panini won't be able to produce Victor Wembanyama cards. That is not true. In the history of the NBA and exclusive deals, the thing that's become very clear is that the card manufacturer that owns the NBA license gets to make cards of every player that is currently signed to an NBA contract. So, since Victor Wembanyama will be in the NBA next year, he will 100% have Panini cards. He may even have Panini game-used or um, event-used or jerseys with without having being used uh, cards what he will not have is autograph cards um, the fact that he has an exclusive deal with fanatics means that the nba license that panini has will prevent them from using him or using or getting him to sign autographs for their products this is something that had that we've seen precedent set by other players and other times and it goes back to the 90s. We've seen it for a long time. Um, or at least the early 2000s, I should say. So Ben Simmons, back in 2016, signed an exclusive deal with Upper Deck. This allowed him to sign cards for non-NBA licensed sets like Exquisite. But the reason that you didn't see autograph cards of Ben Simmons come out of a Panini product, like National Treasures or Flawless, 
is because Ben Simmons didn't have um, didn't didn't have that deal or had that deal with the um, with with Upper Deck. Talk about somebody like Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard back in 2012 was one of the most popular prospects in the league. Um, we've talked about him before on the show, but just to remind everybody, Damian Lillard signed an exclusive deal with Leaf. That was very uh, fortuitous for Leaf because Damian Lillard ended up being the rookie of the year <laughs> and was extremely popular and everybody wanted his autograph and the only way you could get it was by getting a Leaf product. However, regular cards of Dame were made and then fortunately for us at the very end of the season, Leaf came to a deal with Panini and Panini was able to create all of those cards hadn't been made historically um, with Damian Lillard autographs on them. Now, Damian Lillard didn't sign those cards directly on the card. He signed a ton of stickers, and then those stickers were largely applied to cards that looked very similar to the cards if they would have come out in the regular packs. So if you get a National Treasures Damian Lillard, you'll notice it's a sticker autograph. You'll also notice um, you know, that, well, you might not notice, but you should know that those cards didn't come directly out of the packs. Those cards were available after the fact, um, and were not available to people who just be, just because they were they weren't they weren't able to get the cards out of the packs. They were able to get them through, if I remember right, like a um, uh, a promotion where you had to save wrappers and send them in, and then you'd get a chance to get a Damian Lillard card. Um, you know, the the thing that you've got to understand is that there will still be Victor Wembanyama cards. What there won't be is autographs unless Fanatics is able to make a deal with Panini, or I should say separate. I should say that the other way around, unless Panini is able to make a deal with Fanatics. So what that would have to look like is similar to the Leaf deal, where um, where Panini goes to Fanatics and says, "Hey, this is something we'd really like to be able to do, and we think that it's important for the hobby to have this," and then Fanatics would have to buy into that. It has long been anticipated that Damian Lillard, excuse me, it's long been anticipated, I'm looking at my notes too much, that um, Panini would be purchased by Fanatics. And if Panini is purchased by Fanatics, then this point is all moot. And we'll see all of the Victor Wembanyama autographs and everybody will be really excited about it. The really problematic part here is that if there is no deal reached, then we're taking one of those eight guys that I mentioned at the beginning one of the most sought-after prospects of all time, and we're removing his big-name or big-name autographed um, brand cards from the from distribution. We won't see flawless Victor Wembanyama autographs. We won't see a National Treasures NTRPA. Uh, we won't see a an Immaculate or a Logo Man autograph. We won't see those types of things. And to some collectors, that's really sort of terrible news. But if they're able to work together, the companies, if Panini is acquired by Fanatics, then that can be different. I think what most collectors are hoping for is that Panini is purchased by Fanatics in time so that we're able to see some of these things. We have a year. I would also expect it to take a good amount of time because the more time that goes by, um, you know, the, the more the stronger the, the two sides will feel about reaching an agreement. If they don't reach an agreement, consumers will understand that 
it's because they were unable to reach an agreement that we weren't able to get those great cards. And instead, the only autographed Wembenyama cards that you're going to see are going to be non-NBA licensed cards. Now, you can say, I don't care whether they're NBA licensed. And I think a lot of people say that. I've said that. I, I don't care if a card is NBA licensed. I just want it to look good and I want it to have the certain things on it. But what we know as we look back historically is if you have a card that is not NBA licensed, it likely has a cap on it in terms of its value. It will likely never be viewed the same way a card that is NBA licensed is viewed. And so um, I, I really hope that Panini is purchased by Fanatics and that we, you know, that we, that we see those cards. Um, I also want to point out that, and this is, I probably should, should spend quite a bit of time on this. Like we saw with Ben Simmons, just because a, a player doesn't have an autograph doesn't mean they're not going to have highly sought after cards. Um, if Panini holds out, or I should say, if the two sides aren't able to come to an agreement to, for, for Panini to be purchased, and maybe I don't have any insider information here. I don't even know if Fanatics is trying to purchase Panini, but let's say that, that, that it doesn't happen for whatever reason. Well, then we're still going to get like prism cards of Victor Weminyama. We're still going to see select. We're still going to see optic. Those shiny products that we've come to know and love are going to have a great appeal. The other thing that we'll see, and we saw the same thing with Lillard, and we saw the same thing with Weminyama, is you're going to see non-autographed rookies come out in these sets that typically have autographs on them, and they're going to be really low-numbered. So imagine for a second if Panini makes the typical flawless uh, set and there's a Victor Wembenyama base card numbered to 20. That's a diamond. Is that going to be a highly sought-after card? Is that going to be a highly sought-after card given that there's no other like big-time RPAs? You bet that's going to be a really highly sought-after card because when there's no autograph and there's no patches, then the cards, like the the, the way that people will evaluate how nice of a card they are, will largely be based on rarity. Now, there's other things too. There's aesthetics, there's brand awareness, there's all these other things, but like, I think that you want to look for the cards that are that are really rare, and I think that a lot of people will look, look for cards that are really rare. I suspect most of you have been on MC Sports Cards items on eBay, and nearly 60,000 positive feedback. They're one of the biggest consignment companies on eBay. What you might not know is that they've started a focus auction for 1K and over items that end Monday nights, and they call it MC Mondays. Dozens of huge cards end on Monday, all at open auction. You could check out the items by searching by seller and going to MC underscore sports cards today. Okay, last segment, and this is the, 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 the point, the thing that I want to talk about here is how do I... How do I plan around this? And I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to tell you how I think about it. I used to think that when cards were coming out throughout the year, when there started to be so many different rookies, that it actually was really not wise to purchase cards as they were coming out. It always seemed like the cards would, would decrease in value pretty shortly after they came out. And this is something that happened year after year after year. And it makes sense because, you know, if you're, let's say we were collecting when LeBron James came out, when the first LeBron James card come out, comes out, everybody's really excited about it and they all want the card. Well, then they get it and then another one comes out and then another one comes out. And then after a few weeks or months, people kind of forgot about the, the most, you know, the first, the first cards that came out. They want the more recent ones or they have a larger supply to choose from. This is normal. 
right? Like this is how markets work. I think the manufacturers want to use whatever tools they have to enhance the demand. And so a lot of times this, a strategy for them to do that is to start out with the less popular things or the things that will be less popular in the end and instead put the better things towards the end of the year. This strategy worked for years for Upper Deck and for Tops. Um, Panini has, has seemed to do that for a little while earlier on in the decade or earlier on back in like 2012, 13, 14. They've kind of gone away from it a little bit. It's not as strong as it used to be. There's not really a clear hierarchy anymore because what they do is they give different competitive advantages to different cards. The flawless rookie card might be the rarest. Flawless RPA might have the game used patch. But before that, you got the NT RPA, which has the biggest patch. You had other times where like um, a card has like an autograph and a patch and is the rarest autograph patch, but isn't the biggest autograph patch. We saw that in 2012 with Immaculate. It's sort of just changed as the years have gone by and they've kind of kept us on our toes with it. That's been really smart. But for the most part, this theory of waiting has served me well. As time's gone by, the thing that I've realized is you can't just wait till the end because some of the cards are so rare that if you miss your chance at them, then you know, you, you're not going to get your chance back. So you're kind of having to like balance two things at the same time. And this is really, this is really difficult. You're balancing, you know, not wanting to buy before everything else comes out and buy the thing that's when it's opportunistic and when you sort of realize that you think it's going to be something that's going to have staying power. Again, you're bal- you're, you're, you've got two things that you're balancing here and they're, they're hard to sort of pull off together in the same, at the same time. My experience tells me that it's still good to wait until you're sure, but, but being opportunistic as you do that is really important. Um, I remember a few years ago when the Noir Spotlight signatures came out. First time I saw one, I went, holy smokes, that is a really incredibly good-looking card. I think that those things are going to really take off in value, and a lot of them have. A lot of them are some of the most sought-after autograph cards of the Panini era. Had I, had I followed that, um, had I followed that like good feeling that I had, it would have worked out well for me. But I had this rule in place that I wanted to wait until everything came out during a given, given year. That's especially true when it comes for rookies though. Um, it's different. The spotlight signatures is not a great example because the spotlight signature is going to be collectible year after year in a way it's different than the rookie. The rookie is only a thing while that player is a rookie or these days, you know, maybe for, for a year after they're a rookie because the rookies are still coming out a year afterwards. Um, the thing that I would say here that I think is really important is that balancing this being opportunistic while waiting for everything to come out, um, you've got to just have your finger on the pulse of the hobby and you've got to be able to look at the cards um, like a like the person who wants to own the card in the end you have to actually become the person who wants to own the card in the end and be able to see that as the cards come out um, I think if you can I think if you can do that um, you can have a lot of success here and that's what my plan is to do I'm gonna watch Wembenyama on the court I'm going to try to identify how great I think he really is going to become 
But if I think he is going to become an all-time great, I'm going to look at and see what the market is doing. There's a chance that the market's just going to explode on this stuff. There's also a chance, given the recent downturn in the market over the course of the last couple of years, that people might be more conservative than is normal. And if I feel like that's happening, and if I feel like I find something that's going to end up being historically important for Victor, then I'm going to pounce on that thing. I'm going to have some cash set aside to be able to, to um, you know, take advantage of those situations. The problem here, obviously, is that we don't know how great Victor's going to be. Excuse me. We, we don't know how good Victor's going to be. We also don't know what's going to happen with Fanatics and Panini. And we don't know how long the real rookie cards are going to go on for. Is it going to be like a year after the season's over that rookie cards are going to be coming out? It's all so convoluted and confusing. Um, and that's why the most important skill you can have in this process is to have a good eye for what collectors will want in the long term and cash to be able to take advantage of those things and the um, bravery to be able to jump on those things when it's time. I hope that all of that makes sense to you guys. Uh, it's great talking about this. Next time we're going to talk about the biggest card I ever just missed out on, which happened a couple of weeks ago. I'm planning on talking about that, but wanted to hit Victor today. Until next time, happy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.